Welcome to the Dimensions book series by K. Arwen. An extraordinary tale of an inner journey and a battle of good against evil. In this podcast, the heroine Kaya tells her own story from book one, The Awakening. Our journey begins on the Scottish Isle of Skye. Parallel realities interconnect and interweave. Step in and enter Dimensions. early evening now and for the last couple of hours we've been discussing our plans on how to get to the base to get the crystal. I stand by the window and watch a flock of geese come into view flying in the perfect formation of a V and as I watch the bird that had been flying at the front switches to the rear and another bird takes the lead. It's all about working together I think as I watch the birds disappear over the forest. There's only so much you can do in isolation. Each individual has to give it their all and be empowered to fulfil their role, but on an island, everyone is linked as one. I turn to where the others are sitting with the two pieces of crystal. There's nothing for it, Gwynedon's saying. We've looked at it from every angle. It's not much of a plan, but it's the best shot we've got. I walk over to the table and look at the crystals myself. What I don't understand is how I'm going to get the crystal from the top of the transmission device. I agree, it's a pity we don't know enough about the device to work out that just yet, Metamorphosis says. But if Gwynedon and I can draw the skinwalkers out of the base, at least you'll have some time to figure that out once you're inside. Are you sure you can find the base? Gwynedon asks. Yes. The old man of store checked the records. He found the right continent on Earth and it'll be easy enough for us to locate it in the saucer. We'll be there before Kaya and Leodolf, that's for sure. And if I open a portal at Store Rock, then that'll get us there, I ask. Yeah, Metamorphos replies. The store's an energy point on Earth. So you'll find it easier if you go from there. Channel its energy to help you. Okay, says Leodolf in a determined voice. Let's do this before the Matrix Lord or the Cube Collective come up with another way of catching Kaya. We hide the crystals in the house and leave. Not that it'll stop them from finding the crystals if they come looking, Leodolf says. As we watch Gwynedon and Metamorphos take off in the saucer and disappear from sight. But I don't intend to make it easy for them by leaving the crystals on the table with a sign saying help yourself. <laughs> Definitely not, I agree, getting into the pickup. There's one thing. Getting all the pieces of crystal together though. 
But what on earth am I supposed to do with them when we have? Leodov starts the engine and pulls out onto the road heading up for the store. I guess that's something else you're going to have to figure out as we go along, he replies. We pull off the road and parking the pickup, we get out and Leodov takes his sword from the rear of the seat and I grimace. The reality of what we're about to do is starting to hit home. We'll be okay, Leodov says reassuringly, especially with Metamorphos and Gwynedon distracting the skinwalkers. And Fraser here, he'll help too. The sword's just an extra to be on the safe side. I nod, but I'm not entirely convinced. We cross the path and join the track that twists and turns through the forest towards the store. It's funny, I can't help but reflect on how different I feel since I was here last. It's as though I've grown and everything has simultaneously opened up around me. I feel expansive, more aware, more empowered and, well, more like myself. Yet there were things here too, like in Atlantia, that I know I need to learn in order to expand and grow even more. I guess the fact is you're always evolving. It's a pathway after all and so... It's a process and not about reaching some goal. We'd decided against bringing torches and torches are clumsy and we didn't want unnecessary attention when we went through the portal. Besides, the moon is casting enough light to see by, albeit as Ludov says in a blue kind of a way. In the dark, the store rock seems even more impressive, looming over the surroundings like a giant. We continue to make our way up the track towards it and Leodolf's behind me and I'm suddenly aware that he's not making any sound as he walks. Rather, he walks as though he's a shadow. You walk so silently, I say, turning to face him. You make less sound than Fraser and that's saying something. Well, hang around with the wolf dog long enough and it rubs off, he replies, grinning. His teeth seem larger in the moonlight and appear to glow. That's creepy, I observe. Fraser pads past us and gazes along the track ahead and starts to growl. Well, in my opinion, that's even creepier than my teeth, Leodov whispers. The only time he's behaved like that was when the wolves attacked us on the beach. We'd best be on high alert for a welcome committee. Well, I guess this is it then, I say, as we finally get to the foot of Store Rock. Ready? Leodolf nods and I draw the symbol to open a portal. And the symbol expands and appears to cover the rock itself. Fraser, says Leodolf, looking behind him. He's already gone through, look. Leodolf turns to where I'm pointing and he just in time to catch Fraser's tail as the dog vanishes through the portal. We'd best follow him quickly, Leodolf says, stepping through, his voice distorted and broken up by the portal's energy. We find ourselves among the rocks outside the monolith. As soon as we arrive, Metamorphos uncloaks the saucer and begins to fire at it. And so it begins, Leodolf says, as the monolith door slides open and a variety of space vehicles fly out. I find I'm holding my breath. Metamorphos should have flown away by now. What's he waiting for? There was a blast of fire from the saucer and one of the other ships crashed to ground. That, Leodolf says, I think he's proving his point and it's worked. 
Metamorphosis saucer suddenly shoots away, closely followed by the other ships. Come on, we can slip inside and catch the lift as it descends. Keeping to the cover of the rocks for as long as we can, we sprint across to the open hangar, just as the doorway starts to close. It completely shuts, and then the room begins to sink as it descends to the underground section below. Then the doors begin to slide open to reveal the main hangar, and Fraser starts to growl menacingly, looking twice his usual size, his hackles raised. Here comes our welcome committee, Leardolph mutters. Facing us stands Terrain and a pack of timber wolves. The enormous wolves are clearly wary of Fraser, but begin to circle around us, curling their lips in cruel snarls and baring teeth that look like daggers. They follow Terrain, I whisper, standing still, not moving a muscle. Who needs a serious defrag, replies Leardolf. He addresses the alpha wolf. What the hell happened to you, mate? he asks as he looks at Terrain, and then he begins to hum in a low tone. Terrain looks confused for a split second and then starts to creep closer. Leardolf ignores the growling and begins to hum in a different tone, this time standing with his hands in front of him, palms facing outwards. The wolf looks confused and for a brief moment stands with his head on one side. But only for an instant, then the yellow light in its eyes begin get more intense and it starts to growl. A vicious, menacing growl, which is then taken up by the other wolves. Okay, wrong resonance, what about this one? Leardolf moves his hand slowly and places one upright and the other one with his hands to- fingers towards the floor. And he hums again, this time in a series of different tones. It reminds me of... Redwood forests and craggy rocks. It's funny, I can almost smell the wilderness and the open plains. The wolves creep closer, but their eyes start to burn less intently. Leardolf closes his own eyes, blocking out what's in front of him, and seems to place his whole focus on the wolves. I can almost see what he's envisioning in my own mind. The walls running free across the plain, running like the wind with the cool crisp air of dawn filling their nostrils. And then I get an image of seeing them as a pack, relaxed in a forest clearing, rolling in the undergrowth and laying together in the dry foliage, all content and calm. It's working, I whisper. Leardolf opens his eyes and the wolves are still around us, but now they're sitting on their haunches, listening. Only Terrain's left standing and he's watching Leardolf, sort of unsure and wary. But the menacing light has gone from his eyes. You must have a sore head, boy, Leardolf murmurs in a sing-song way that's similar to his humming. Just don't move a muscle, he whispers. We aren't out of this yet. Enough of this! Attack! The sharp voice cuts through the trance-like state in a knife, like a knife, and it hits like a shockwave and the effect on terrain is instant. His hackles rise again and he starts to get ready to pounce. Attack, I say, Grisilio's voice echoes through the hangar. Attack. 
There's a moment of confusion and terrain snarls and pounces at Leodolf and the other wolves rise to their feet somewhat sluggishly. Then Fraser leaps forward. He seizes Terrain in his drawers and rips his throat away and then stands over Terrain's body with his front legs on either side of it, all in an instant, snarling at the remaining wolves, challenging them to defy his authority. One by one, the remaining wolves lay down in front of him. Easy boy, murmurs Leodolf. Easy. Fraser turns his gaze to Leodolf and then moves to sit next to him as though affirming to the other wolves that Leodolf's part of the pack. I think the wolves will be on our side now. We'll hold back the skinwalkers. You focus on getting the crystal. Enough of this nonsense. Attack them, I say. Gracilia walks out from the shadows. You'll never get what you seek. We will rule the dimensions. I think you may be getting a bit above your station, mate, replies Leodolf as he faces Gracilia, holding out the sword. The remaining skinwalkers begin to move forward in a wave. Go, Leodolf urges. We'll hold them off. I give Leodolf a last concerned look and then run through the hangar to the part that's got the machines. Behind me I can hear the snarling and a bloodthirsty howl as Fraser attacks the nearest skinwalker. I turn and see him tearing the skinwalker's skin away like a piece of cloth but the skinwalker comes at him again, jeering with its face set in a fungi-like grin. The other two wolves leap and they catch it by each arm and hold it fast and I watch in horror as Fraser leaps at it again. Go! shouts Leodolf as he leaps forward to meet Gracilio's attack. I'm brought to my senses and run on, turning and twisting through the rows of machines and spacecraft until I find what I'm looking for. The cylindrical machine that's got the crystal set on top of it in the dome. I look around How am I going to get to it? There's no stairs or ladders to allow access up the side of the cylinder. I begin to panic. Time's not exactly on my side and the skinwalkers are many. Just breathe, I tell myself. There must be a way. Just breathe. I look up at the ceiling and I see a walkway platform circling the outside of the ceiling, the hangar. If I could just get up to that, I might be able to jump onto the dome and release the crystal. But how am I going to get up there? My eyes catch sight of a triangular-shaped spacecraft that are lined up along the wall and I run towards them, praying that they operate in a similar way to Metamorphosis Saucer. I run along the row and one of them at the to- has got the door open at the top and I'm able to climb up and gain access to the cockpit. I do so without another thought and look around inside. There's a seat and a panel of orb-like buttons that are all the same grey colour. No label and no help, I think, as I stare at them. Come on, you can do this. I place my palms down over the orb and allow my intuition to take over. I send my thoughts to the lock and the water and the sky and my hands begin to glow with the blue-silver light. And as they do, the orbs between my hand, and beneath my hands start to resonate colours and sound. I run my hands across the panel, scanning for something that would cause the craft to move. And my right hand instinctively hovers over an orb that begins to glow with like a yellow light and the craft starts to rise in the air. I hold my hand steady and then move my left hand across a series of orbs until I find the ones that move the ship from its possession. I move my hand slightly and we shoot upwards, narrowly missing the top of another cylinder, 
hot sweat forming on my brow. Keep your cool, I tell myself. These things are really responsive. Using smaller movements, I direct the craft across the hanger towards the cylinder and containing the crystal. And then suddenly there's a jolt and I shoot forward. And looking over my shoulder, I see I'm being followed by Regalis in a second craft. He's knocking into me from behind like bumper cars, trying to cause me to crash. I see your game, I mutter, but you're not going to get the better of me. Bang, there's another jolt. And I move my hands too quickly across the orb and the craft shoots to the left at lightning speed, knocking into a machine. Sparks fly and there's an explosion and I automatically shield my eyes with my hand. Moving my hand away from the panel causes the craft to plummet 30 feet towards the floor. I recover quickly and replace my hand back over the orb just in time before it hits the ground. The orb starts to glow again and the craft steadies. But Regalis is persistent. He's flying around the hangar to get back in position behind me. It's just as well these things don't have guns, I think. But it's too late. The thoughts are no longer in my mind when a red laser shoots from the craft behind me, just missing me and hitting the cylinder in front. The laser melts the metal like wax and a gaping hole appears as molten metal begins to ooze to the floor like wax down a candle. Great. Now why don't I find an orb that controls that? I quickly move the craft upwards vertically just in time. The laser shoots out from Regalis's craft behind me and makes another hole in the cylinder in front of me. Just then I realise that the cylinder in front of me is the one holding the crystal and the melting metal is causing the cylinder to buckle with the weight of the dome at the top. It's leaning precariously. Perhaps I can use Regalis's attack to my advantage. Maybe one more shot would do it. Well, come and get me. I hover my craft near to the cylinder and the skinwalker flies up behind me. The laser shoots out and just at the last minute I veer to the right, the laser blast catching one of the feet of the craft though, causing it to catch fire. But it still hits the cylinder and I watch anxiously as another hole appears and this time it bursts into flames. The cylinder begins to groan and topple. It's all happening so fast. I catch the dismayed look on Regalis' face as he realises what's happening. The cylinder creaks and the fire becomes more intense, shooting out from it. It falls slowly at first, but then starts to gather momentum. Regalis lands his craft and as if by a miracle, the cylinder chooses to fall at that moment like an enormous tree on top of his ship. And there's an explosion as both the ship and the cylinder burst into flames. I take my way, my hand away from the golden orb and my craft plummets to the ground. Not exactly a smooth landing, I think, as I slam into the, the floor of the hangar. The craft's still intact, but for how long? The flames from the damaged foot, well, they're getting larger and the craft's got this peculiar tilt as I scramble down from the cockpit and slide down the side of the vessel. Smoke now fills the hangar, but perhaps that's a good thing because it obscures the sight of the other skinwalkers and offers a distraction. And above the sound of the fire, I can hear the battle that's still in progress with the wolves. I can hear the snarling and the sound of flesh and then a spine-chilling yelp. I go cold. I have to hurry. The wolves can't hold the skinwalkers off indefinitely.
I run to where the cylinders toppled and through the smoke I can see the crystal at the top of the dome. It doesn't glow anymore, just looks opaque and lightless. I wrench at it with both hands and manage to break it free of its fixings and then I run to the other area and the other part of the hangar. I've got it, I call to Leodolf, who's standing over the body of Grisilior, his sword covered in black-looking blood. Leodolf catches a look on my face. Don't ask, he says. Fraser, come on, we're going. I run on ahead and flick the symbol to reopen the portal, and I leap through. Closely followed by Leodolf, and a moment later by Fraser and the four remaining wolves. Thank you for listening. And so that you don't miss an episode of Dimensions from the book series, please follow my podcast, Dimensions the Book Series, KRWIN. If you're interested in exploring Atlantean light language and the ascension pathway within Kayamea, then check out kayamea.co.uk or reach out to me on my blog site, krwin.co.uk. I leave you now with some Atlantean light language. Enjoy. Now you are.